Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I'm going to continue the sermon series that I started a few weeks ago, and man, I'm excited about what kind of change God wants to bring to each and every one of us. We're talking about freedom and that freedom is available to us now. And um, I've just been feeling just a, uh, a rumbling sort of in my spirit um, during this sermon series that God is, is speaking to people on, on, on a whole new level. God is dealing with people on a whole nother level. And I love it. I love it when, when, when people come into church and they, and they make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. That is, that is amazing. But really what this sermon series is about, it's about, it's about that, but it's about how that is just the start of what God wants to do in your life. And so what I'm seeing is people who've been following Jesus for for years or maybe even decades are getting fresh revelation, fresh understanding about what God really, really has for them. Because you can go to church for a long time, but man, when you hear from God, this is where freedom happens in your life. And I just, I, look, I, look, I didn't wear my best biker jacket just to stand up here and be cute. Okay, actually, it's my only biker jacket. I didn't wear my only biker jacket. Just, like, like, we're, like I, I feel like God wants to do something today. I feel like God wants to shift and break some things and remove some bondages off of you. And the first thing you need to do is you need to understand that there is more. That you need to, you need to agree with this voice of God that's, that I believe is going out throughout all of City Chapel. That, that 2019 will be the year of freedom. And you might say, well, I've been free since 1976 when I, when I quit having fun and gave my life over to Jesus. That's lovely and that's wonderful. Congratulations. But no, like there is more for you wherever you are. There is more freedom in your life, in your walk, in your marriage, in your kids, in your workplace. I mean the kind of freedom that affects your everyday life. I don't mean the kind that gets you to commit to a church. I mean the kind that changes, fundamentally changes you. Galatians 2.20 is a scripture that uh, I, I, I read last week and I, and I want to go back to this week. And, and it's, it's written by Paul and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. In other words, there's something that happened to Paul that so radically changed him that he, he described it as a death. This was a funeral for Paul. He says, there, I, I had a funeral for me. And so, and so today I feel like God wants, God wants some of you to have a funeral for you. Uh, God, God wants some of you to have a funeral because until you have this funeral, you'll never experience the life that we're talking about. Christianity won't work for you until you recognize the fact that, that when Christ died, it wasn't simply on your behalf. It was actually, he was leading us in a, in, a, in a pattern that he wanted us to follow him in. Jesus said, you should follow in my footsteps. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up a cross. Because, because there will come a point at which you will have to identify with Christ's death. Not just, not just theologically, but personally. And Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's an experience that happened for Paul. But now he says, I'm not alive, but Christ is living in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith. Somebody say, by faith. This is the key. This is by faith. This is how we continue living after this experience. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. Do not set aside the grace of God. We talked about last week how grace is power. He's saying I'm not going to set aside the power of God and assume that this is something I can do of my own power, of my own will. And so instead, he says, for if righteousness... Or if dying to myself, or if this funeral could have been gained through, through the law, or more, probably more specifically, my obedience to the law, then Christ died for nothing. So God died in order that you and I could die to us. He died not so that you and I don't have to, but so that you and I can. Because it's impossible to crucify yourself. 
Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. Well, you can't crucify yourself. You can put your, your legs together and get your foot in there. If you're, if you're really like strong and brave and have a high tolerance for pain, maybe you can get your other arm if you can hold the nail just right. But there's no way that you can crucify yourself. And for, and for, for centuries, those that were following God were basically left to try to deal with this themselves. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, we have grace, we have power, we have the ability to step into a new level of freedom. And to say with Paul, I too have been crucified with Christ. And this, this crucifixion has to happen at every level of our life. And so last week we began talking about the five levels of change. And uh, I, I, I want to jump into those levels. Uh, I'm kind of teaching today, not necessarily preaching. Preaching is, 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 is more spit. Teaching is, is just more talk. And so I actually have a chart. I have a little graph. And this is going to help me teach, not preach. Um, naturally, it's in the shape of a pyramid um, because, uh, you know, the Illuminati is everywhere. And uh, anyway, I kind of got into that last week. But uh, these are the so far the first three levels of change um, that I believe that God wants to bring to our lives. And when I say levels, I don't mean successive levels. I don't mean linear levels. I mean this kind of level that that down here at the at the at the bottom most level of our life is our environment. And this is the level of change that is um, the most easily accomplished uh, it's the kind of change that is most visible as well. It's also, it's also the reason why you're in church today. Because there was something wrong with your environment. It's the reason why we call out to God to begin with. It's the reason why we attempt to make any kind of change. If our environment was perfect, if it was exactly the way that we wanted it or thought that it should be, we would never change. We never have any need to. So, so, so uh, problems arising in our environment. Environment is your family. It's anything outside of you. It's, 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 it, 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 it's, it's your nose. It's, it's your job. It's, it's, it's how you look. It's, how you, it's, it, it's the rest of the world around you. If, there was, if that was perfect, if you grew up in a utopia, you would never have any need for God. And so really, problems in our environment is a bit of a mercy of God. It's a bit of a, a goodness of God that allows problems to rise up in our life and confront us with the fact that we need to change. And so initially, uh, the, the lowest level of maturity is, I need to change my environment. And so if, so if your church is giving you problems, then I need to change my church. You know, uh, if your family is giving you problems, I need to change my family. If your wife is giving you problems, I need to change my wife. There's this belief. Now, I'm not saying that. Don't do that. And in fact, don't do any of those things. But there are some changes, actually, that are helpful. You might find yourself in uh, growing up in a family that is not healthy. And when you become an adult, you do need to distance yourself sometimes from people who are not healthy. Because some, there are some levels of this environment that you can change. You have the power to change. You can decide where you live and the job that you have. If you don't like your job, leave it and find another one. Right? Like, like you have the power to, to do something that you enjoy, that you're passionate about. So I'm not against like changing this. You ought to, there are some levels that you ought to change. But if anybody has lived more than five minutes and you've changed a few things, maybe you've made more money, maybe you've, 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 you've moved cities, maybe you've, you've, you've changed some of these things, maybe you lost weight. But one thing that you will notice is that, that after a while, there, uh, the, some changes help, but then other changes just simply don't help the environment anymore. That you cannot, that making changes at the environment level no longer positively affects the environment. That's because there's something ruling over that level. So these are, these are, these are not linear levels. These are successive levels of power. That there is something that has power over your environment, and that is your behavior, your thoughts and your feelings. Because no matter where you go, there you are. And you bring you with you. And so at some point, you realize, okay, I can change my environment a whole lot, but nothing is necessarily changing. What, what, what you've done is you've bumped up against the limits of the power of a change in environment. Now you have to go to the next level, which is a change in your behavior. I guarantee if you start treating your wife better, I guarantee if you start treating the people at your workplace better. I guarantee if you change your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors toward those who are around you, toward the environment that you're in, it's amazing how people will respond to that. It's amazing how your environment will respond 
to your behavior. And uh, that is what we preached about last week, that your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors have power over your environment. And if you really want to see deep environment change, if you, like, I think it was Gandhi who said, you got to be the change that you want to see in the world. So there's some truth to that. At this level, there is change that can happen there. But if any of you have lived long enough in this level, making changes to be your, your, your behavior, trying to make changes to your thinking, you have bumped up against another level. You've come to a place where it's like, man, some behavior just doesn't want to change. Some thoughts just don't want to change. I change it and it changes back, right? The, the, the whole potty training, dirt, dirty diaper thing that we talked about last week. There's some change that it's like, well, I thought I already changed that, but then it changes back. What's happening? Well, just like in the environment level, you, you bump up against the, the, the limits of, of the power of that level. In your behavior, thoughts and feelings, there is a limit to how much you can change there. And you have to go above that level. You have to allow God to bring change into your life at a higher level. Behavior cannot drive out behavior. Behavior does not have dominion over behavior. Behavior has dominion over environment. But behavior doesn't have dominion over behavior. That's why just more determination, better, more positive thoughts is not helping. That's why these things keep coming back and back and back again because something else is regulating your behavior and it is your capabilities. So last week we talked about this, how the capability, it's like the, it's like the thermostat of your soul. That when things get too, too cold in your soul or too hot, whenever it moves too far off of the dial that it's been set on, uh, you, you automatically start pushing against that. And, and if anybody has tried to change at the behavior level, you've probably noticed this, that there's some things, it's like there's an invisible force kicking in and pulling you back to a basic medium, a basic range of behavior that, and here's the key, that you believe you are capable of. And so we talked about that last week, how this is, this is a higher level. So down here in the environment, everybody can see your environment. Everybody can see what you wear, where you work, that kind of thing. It's very easy to identify. Your behaviors is a little bit trickier because, because you, it's hard to see yourself. But if you, if you think about it long enough, if you do some cognitive behavioral therapy, you'll figure out, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking. But behind or above, I should say, your behavior is your belief about your capabilities. The belief that you have as to what, is what, what level of freedom is possible for you. And that's why so many of my sermons actually preach to that. And in fact, I was kind of talking to that at the beginning of this sermon when I was talking about the fact that you can be free, that God can do something in your life, that you can be crucified with Christ. What am I talking to? I'm talking to the capabilities that rule over your behavior. And so change has to come. The Holy Spirit has to bring change at the level of your capabilities. And if you want to learn more about that, it was, at, it was on last week's podcast. Listen to it. Go to uh, Facebook. I think the video is still up. Um, or just, you know, uh, just come to church and you'll, you'll hear it. Um, it just, you'll just, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just catch you up. But, um, but to this week, I want to go to the next level. I want to spend too much time here because I really want to go to the next level, which is the level of our beliefs. So if you've ever tried to change your capabilities, you, 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 you will notice that you bump up against a level at which you can no longer uh, change your capabilities or your belief about your capabilities. There, there's a certain level uh, of change that can happen, right? Pastor Harry, you can come here and hear about capabilities and, and, and God can stir something up in your soul. Sometimes I think that's why people come to church because Pastor Harry can turn up the dial a little bit of hope, turn up the dial of faith, turn up the dial of, of yes, maybe something can be different. Yes, God can do something and it feels good. But, but, but the problem is, when we go back home, um, the, the, the temperature in our home remains the same. Even though we want to change it, even though we try to change it, because there's some other level ruling over what we believe the limits of our capabilities are. And that is our deep-seated beliefs. Now, once again, as soon as I start talking about beliefs, like this is, this is one of the hardest ones to talk about. Actually, the further up uh, the pyramid you go, the harder these things are to describe uh, because they're, they're, they're hardly visible. They're barely noticeable. Uh, your belief, you've probably never actually identified most of your beliefs. Uh, and, and just simply even the word belief, is something that I think, especially in the church, we, we, one, we talk about a lot, 
but we don't really talk what it is very often. And when we do, we do it pretty poorly. So I grew up in a church from the time I was two weeks old to the time I was 10 years old, grew up in a church that was called Life of Faith. Life of Faith Fellowship, the Life of Faith Fellowship, and the Flemings were in the Life of Faith Fellowship. I tried saying that five times real fast. Anyway, but you know, like, 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 faith was in our name. You know what I mean? Like, if anybody should know what faith is or belief is, the Flemings who went to Life of Faith Fellowship should know, should be fully persuaded about what faith is. Like, we ought to know. We ought to be able to define it. But, but even as a kid, I, I got conflicting messages about what faith was. Because as a kid, we used to sing a song at Life of Faith Fellowship that went, that, that went like this. It said, faith is like a rope. I don't know if you, any of you grew up in the 80s in a, in a Word of Faith church, but you would have heard Gospel Bill sing about the fact that faith is like a rope. And uh, his little deputy had this rope, and he would, he would lasso it onto, like, money and, and, like, pull it to himself, or he'd lasso it onto a car, and he'd pull it onto himself. And it was faith is like a rope. And so you get this idea, okay, faith is this thing I throw out there, and I grab a hold of something that I want, and I pull it to myself. And it gets like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's awesome. So, so okay, so I'm going to, so, so I remember seven years old, I had, I had my toy lightsaber, and I just figured if I had enough faith, I could command the toy lightsaber to be a real lightsaber, and I'd be like Luke Skywalker. How awesome would that be? All the boys in the room say, yeah, I wanted a real lightsaber. I mean, who doesn't want a real lightsaber? You just like, you just use the force, and it just goes, you know, you just start chopping stuff up, like, It'd be awesome, but it didn't happen, and I had a lot of faith. My rope was, like, out there. It was wrapped around that lightsaber. I don't know if it, like, cut it or something because, you know, I don't, it didn't get the handle. That's the problem. You got to do this to get the lightsabers, and I don't know. But, but, but you get this idea that faith is this thing you throw out into the, or, or if you're Oprah, this thing you cast out into the universe, and it comes back to you. Like, she, like she's, 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 she's talked about that. How there's this thing, there's this energy that you put out there, and then it's you, good vibes, right? Good vibes go out, and then they bounce off of things, and they come back to you somehow. I don't know how that works. But it, you get this, this interesting picture, and then you start reading Scripture about Abraham, who the Bible says is the father of the faith. And, 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 I, and he wandered around in the wilderness most of his adult life. How come he didn't, you know, pull any camels to him or like mansions or like, what happened to his rope? He lost his rope. But no, he was a father of the faith. And, and so it's a little bit different than that. It's a little bit different than a rope. It's a little bit different than good vibes. There's something else to faith, to belief. That's a little bit different. And then, and then of course, if you, if you cross over from the, from the word of faith movement into more of an evangelical setting, uh, you've probably heard scriptures like, uh, for God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, believes in him. And so the question is, do you believe in Jesus? That's what we ask all the time. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, anybody who grew up in Texas believes in Jesus. In fact, most people who grew up in the United States believe in Jesus. 99, it's like 99.5% of Mexico claims to believe in Jesus. They, they, they do these polls all the time, and they ask, do you believe? What do you believe? And so even, even when that question is posed, what we mean is, what do you think is true? What do you think? So this is, we're actually addressing this right here, thoughts and feelings and behaviors. We talk about beliefs, and the talk, the talk we have is so vague. We talk about faith, and the talk we have is so vague. It's either like this, this thought that we have in our head, Yes, Jesus uh, lived, um, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose again, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And so, and so, and so on the one hand, you know, uh, you, can, you can go on the faith side of things and be like, yeah, if, uh, to believe is to just know that, that God's going to do something that you really want him to do. And then on this side, to believe is just to, is just to acknowledge what is, what is readily sort of true, what Scripture says, is to agree with that. Both of them are really missing the mark of what it means to, to have a belief. Because Scripture also tells us that, you know, if you have correct theology, well, congratulations. Even the devil has correct theology. He knows who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why he did it, how he did it. He, 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 has, he has correct doctrine. 
He understands. He has a mental understanding of what we would call the gospel, which, 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 which is interesting because the gospel, what we call the gospel, isn't necessarily what Jesus preached when the Bible said he was preaching the gospel. But we have a certain, a certain framework for the gospel, and for us, it is this knowledge that Jesus lived, died, rose again from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if we ask, do you believe in Jesus, we say, yes, I believe those things happened. I have a thought that that is true. I, I agree that that is true. But, but to experience, so, 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 so what happens is because we have a wrong view of belief, we often try to push ourselves toward the view of belief that we have. So if my belief is that correct doctrine is what is needed, then I'm going to study and try to get the most accurate and, and perfect doctrine, believing that if I just get my doctrine right, then that will have power over my capabilities, then that will have power over my behaviors, and it'll transform my environment. The problem is even the devil has perfect doctrine. Even the devil knows exactly what happened. And it's good to have doctrine. It's good to have actually biblical doctrine. That would be awesome. You need to pursue that. But it, it, is, it is not the level of belief that I'm, that I'm talking about. It's also good to have an expectation that God's going to do good things. That's why I like my life of faith upbringing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't throw shade at that too much, um, because honestly, they they were hopeful. They taught me how to pray. They taught me how to cry out to God and believe that good things could happen. And so, and so it, that that's good to be hopeful. It's good to expect good things. It's good to believe that God wants good things for you, right? He wants to bring good things in your life. But at the same time, the level of change is it's not this thing where I need to get you to start confessing something different. And it's not this thing where I have to get you to start thinking something different. So a thought resides in your head, but, but a belief resides right here. It lives in your heart. A thought is easily uh, discernible. You can put it into words very easily. In fact, if you go onto the City Chapel website, you're going to find a statement of beliefs. <laughs> uh, that's, not the, that's, that's, that's the thought. That's, the, that's what we believe to be true, and that's fine. But that's not the change that's needed for you. That's not what's ruling over your capabilities. The thought, the belief that you think is not the limiting factor. It is the belief that you feel that is limiting you and I from truly changing. You say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is a thought is you can put words around it uh, you can, and, and, and you can change it. Basically, if, you, if, you, if, you, if somebody can argue well enough a, a dissenting point of view, you can go with that point of view. But a belief is something that is a deep-seated version of reality that you have that has been brought to you. It's really, it's dawned on you, kind of. You know, the people, people say that with regard to a thought. But, but a belief sort of rises over the, the horizon of your life through repeated experiences, usually, and or traumatic experiences. This, this belief is the way that you perceive the, the world. Uh, Bob Hemp says that it's like, a, it's like a contact lens on your heart. Scripture often refers to it as your heart. That, 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 that in, within your heart, within your heart, this is where belief lives. Which is why in Romans 10.10, it says that, that uh, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, one confesses unto salvation. So, so the experience of salvation is not just a mental thing that you think that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yes, this is true. It is actually something that happens with the heart. There has to be a heart shift, a heart movement, that with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. So how does one get to righteousness? How does one get to, to correct behavior, thoughts, and feelings? How does one get to right uh, understanding of one's capabilities of freedom? Through belief, through, through, through change in that level. And by the way, most um, of the change that needs to happen, it's not necessarily big changes. The, the higher up the pyramid you go, you, you see that it's, it's smaller. Each piece is smaller and smaller. That's because tiny changes at high levels make large impact. Bob Hemp um, shared a story uh, this past week in the small group, in the video that we were watching. He's talking about how he tried to change his aunt's um, flat tire, and he had the wrong wrench. He had an American wrench, and she had a metric um, car, so she had metric lug nuts. This is back in the day 
um, when they weren't, anyway. And so each car had its own deal. And so he had this, the wrong size wrench. Now it looks very similar, but he, but it's, but it's the, just, it's off just enough. And so he puts it on the, on the lug nuts and he begins pressing down with all of his might. He's trying to loosen the lug nuts. And because it's not the right wrench, what does it do? It strips the lug nuts. He does damage. And I, I believe that a, a, a great number of Christians are walking around living their life, pushing as hard as they can. It's not because they're not trying. They're pushing as hard as they can at this thing. They're believing as hard as they can, right? They're thinking true things as hard as they can. They're, they're doing what they think is right, but they're just using the wrong tools. And what happens is they end up doing damage. Not only do things not get better, but things get worse, not only does, does their life not start looking more like Jesus, it starts looking less and less like Jesus. They, they do damage to their soul, not for lack of trying, but because they have the wrong tools. And by the way, the wrong tools and the right tools look very similar. They're just, it's not like it's hugely wrong. It's not like he took a chainsaw to it. I don't think any of you are taking like incredibly wrong approaches. It's just a small shift. And it's that small shift that, that changes everything. It changes everything for the, for the worse. Just a little lie. Just a, a, a little. Uh, and this is why the enemy, he, he often, he doesn't attack us at the point of our environment. He doesn't even attack us at the point of our behaviors or our belief of our capabilities. He goes right to what we believe to be true about everything. He attempts to color how we view all of reality. And then from that place, he tells us things like, you'll never be any different. Once he gives you the wrong tool, he says, you'll never get that lug nut loose. The reason he's telling you that, because he knows that will motivate you to try really hard. And we're like, yeah, well, watch this. I'll definitely fix this marriage. I'll definitely get these kids in order. I'll, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to try and try and try. And, and, and he's watching Christians all around America grab the wrong tool and try really hard. And he doesn't have to destroy the lug nuts of our life. We do it for him. And the lies that he says at this level work because of the lie we believed at that level. And we end up saying, you know what, I, I, I'm never going to get this lug nut off. I'm never going to fix this marriage. I'm never going to raise these kids. Right. I, I am a failure. I am. And we start agreeing with the lies down here because we've already believed the lie at the level of our belief. It has dominion over everything. And so just to, just to help give you an example, um, several of us are, are married or, or have been married um, or even, I don't know, have been in love, uh, dated. We had Valentine's Day this past week. Uh, several of us, have, we know what it is to feel warm fuzzies and butterflies floating around in our stomach, right? We know what it is to be attracted to someone. Um, this is something God created, right? God invented this. This is not bad. Uh, Hollywood didn't invent this. They just... They just pirated it as something that God made and uh, they, folks are making money off it but God invented it so it's good it's natural it's the way things ought to be um, and, and it's intended uh, this this attraction is intended to bring you uh, into a, a level of marriage that God intended between one man and one woman. And this is how it usually starts. We usually start noticing the other person's environment, right? So when Roe was scrolling um, on the website that she found me on 15 years ago, um, she noticed that she liked what she saw. She liked this. <laughs> just as an example, I'm not, this is not for personal gratification at all. This is just it's an example, I'm just throwing it out there. This is my experience. Um, she know, it's true. She noticed. She liked it. And so she created a profile on this cheesy Christian dating site before they didn't have Matchmaker or whatever they have nowadays. I don't know. And, 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 and so she wanted to talk to me. Why? Because she wants to get to know my, my thoughts, my feelings, and my behavior. She wants to know what kind of a person I am. And, and this has probably happened with several of you that are married. Hopefully you figured this out. So you, 
you don't just see somebody and, and ask them to marry you. I mean, you might like the environment, you might like the package, but man, you got to figure out what's what's going on, what's working in here. You got to get to know the person. You need to you need to, you need to hear their thoughts and, and and sense their feelings and and see how they behave in different environments. And so so as we and and, and I wanted to get to know her, and so we got to know each other first long distance, then by the phone, then 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 in person, and we and we really got to know each other's behavior, thoughts, and feelings. And occasionally, we would start hearing about each other's dreams, capabilities, what we believe God has for us, where we believe we're going, what we believe to be the limitations of ourselves. You start to hear that. And hopefully, you want to marry somebody who's kind of hopeful, who's got big dreams, who's, who's going someplace, you know, or, or at least, you know, not going downhill. I mean, <laughs> they got potential, you know, and so we, apparently I had enough potential for Roe. I, I specifically, though, didn't want Roe to hear me preach because I had so many, in, 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 in my experience, so many girls that just, that liked me up here, but didn't know me, like, out there. And I, and, 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 and I mean, I do wear this jacket out there, so that part is the same, but, but there's other stuff that I'm not as loud out there. I'm not as funny out there. Um, you know, there's just, there's just levels to me. It's just not the same. So if you hang out with me, you know, like I, I'm the same person, but it's just quieter. It's, th- it's this, but like t- turned down a few notches, like quite a few, actually. Uh, it's, I still like the coffee, but, you know, so I'm, I'm down. I'm down a bit. And so, and so she didn't even, she never, you never heard me preach, I don't think. You saw like a video of me sharing a testimony one time, and I was a little leery about that. But anyway, she, she saw that, and, but, but we got to know, because I didn't want her to like me for, only for this. I wanted us to connect on these different levels. And then when she walked down the aisle, I had a belief about her. I, it's not, it wasn't a thought. It was a knowing that I want to be with her for the rest of my life. I know this. I believe this. I, I feel this at my, the center of my being. I believe this. And, and I, I can't even logically explain it. How can you logically explain the fact that you meet somebody? And we talked for like two years online and then we, for about 10 months in person. But still, that's less than three years. And I'm committing like the rest of my life. Like, that's not logical. There's no logic to to that belief. But that's the thing. Belief is not connected to logic. It's a deep-seated knowing, a feeling that you have arrived at sometimes by logic and by, by connecting on these different levels, but you know it. And I knew it. Now, she told me afterward that when she was walking down the aisle, she was wondering, am I making a mistake? So that was not the most romantic thing she ever told me. So in all fairness... In all fairness, she is a, was a commitment phobe, so, you know, she had some of those thoughts. But me, I mean, I, I knew, and I was, I was, hallelujah, glory to Jesus. Maybe don't step on that over there. <laughs> uh, I knew. And, and, then, and then married life is awesome. And if we have any newlyweds in here, you will attest that married life is awesome. You get to spend every day with your best friend. It's wonderful. Um, and when, and when folks that have been married for more than five minutes, when they start talking about how much work it is, you don't understand them because, well, you, you understand that they're, they, they're probably not as awesome as you, or they didn't marry somebody as awesome as you did because marriage is not work when you're first married. I mean, if that's, if that's work, then, then I'll just go full time for the rest of my life. Like, you know, I just get to hang out with my best friend all the time. We get to talk. We get to, we get to, I mean, I, I love hanging out with her. I love just everything about her. Of course, marriage isn't work. And for the first like three years, marriage was not work. And then, you know, stuff happens. And for us, it was little humans came into our environment, but for others, it's different things. It's not the same thing, but something happens that starts picking away at this. I know, I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. And then some stuff down here in the environment starts shaking up and you're like, ah, it's okay. You know, he, well, you know, Harry was brought up this way. He doesn't quite know to take out the trash and, and, uh, 
which isn't true. My parents raised me to take out the trash. It was after I got out of the house, I decided, why am I taking out the trash? Uh, but anyway, you know, Harry's like, why am I washing the dishes? There is a dishwasher. It actually is called the thing that I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Anyway, uh, it, it, like, it, so, but you have grace. Well, you know, hey, there's a lot of grace initially. But then after like 30,000 times of Harry forgetting to take out the trash or whatever it was that I forgot or, what it, like, or, or whatever she didn't do. After a while, this, this moves from just simply your environment to realizing that there's some real behaviors, thoughts, and feelings that are not congruent. We're not on the same page here. Listen, that's not what I signed up for. I don't know about you. And, and a change happens to your dreams. You start to become disappointed because the marriage you thought you were getting is not really what you're getting. The very best of us, I think. It's interesting how as I share this story, so many people say, yep, 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 yep. Like it's not just me. It's not just bro. I'm not a marriage counselor, but a hundred times out of the hundred couples that we have sat down with, we have found that there is definite disappointments that have happened. So-and-so didn't behave right. So-and-so didn't say that. They said this. They should have said that. They went there. They should have gone there. They did that. They should have done this. Whatever it might be. And it's repeated. And it's over and over and over and over again. It's a cycle. And so, I don't know, five years into our marriage, I, we, went on our, our, uh, we went on an anniversary date, five-year anniversary. And we hadn't been on a date in like two years because we had kids. And, um, uh, and we were just busy. And some of you don't have to have kids to be busy. But we, we, were, we, were, we were busy. And we sat down for a date at the Cheesecake Factory where we had our first date actually in person back, I don't know, back uh, 100 years ago. And, and that's when I realized we didn't have much to talk about. And it's not that we didn't love each other. We just had found a way that we didn't really need each other anymore. I mean, you know, we loved each other, committed, committed, absolutely. But it's like, well, I'm kind of happy doing my thing at the church, doing my thing over here, doing this. And she's kind of happy reading her books and doing, and we just, we were, we were coexisting, but it it, it wasn't the same. And it, it felt weird to me. It's like, well, didn't we used to talk on and on and on for hours? Didn't we used to enjoy hanging out with each other? Now it's like, well, we really ought to have a date because it's our anniversary. So you do what you ought to do. It's like, this is now what I ought to do. This used to be what I get to do, but now it's like what I should do. And it's amazing how the shift down here starts chipping away at this, start, starts bringing disappointment and, and into our capabilities, and it starts changing our belief system. Not the beliefs that we think in our head, but the belief we feel in our heart. And that was a red flag to me. I'm like, how come I don't, like want to sit and talk? How come I don't have much? I'm not curious about what's in her heart, really. I mean, I kind of am, but it's a take it or leave it. I'm a little more interested in fantasy football, actually, you know, a little more interested in some of these other things that are more on my mind. And that was a red flag to me. And so I just, it was bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And about seven years ago, right now, around Valentine's Day, I was up late at night and God just began to speak to me about, about my... Uh, level right here my behavior because I noticed something was off down here and so God said okay well this is what's causing it you're not pursuing her you're not sending her any text messages you're not spending time with her you're not doing any of the things you used to do so of course you don't feel the way you used to feel and so I apologized to her about just being a slacker husband and, and said I'm going to do better Right, Because I know she's a words of encouragement person. I know she likes text messages and emails and voicemails and, and compliments. And, and like, I don't need compliments. I compliment myself pretty well. So <laughs> as you've seen today, I, like, I mentioned the jacket. You don't, you don't have to tell me this is a good jacket. I like this jacket. It's a good jacket. But, but her, like, she's, she's a little different. And so she needs it. And, and I hadn't been doing that. Because I was just, I was, I was in my own world. And so I said, man, I'm, I need to start being intentional. So I started setting alarms on my phone, 
right? Text row at 3 p.m., you know, something thoughtful. Um, you know, that, that's it. You say, oh, that doesn't sound romantic. Oh, well, yeah, you be married more than five minutes. Because there's a time, I'm telling you, it's so interesting to me that the Bible uses marriage as a metaphor for a relationship between us and Christ. And this experience I'm talking about is so common for every marriage I've ever talked to. I wonder if maybe it's trying to teach us something. I wonder if it's trying to teach us something about our relationship with Christ. That when we first get saved, all these levels line up and everything feels great. But after a little bit of disappointment, after God doesn't come through when you thought he would or, you, or, or the prophet told you, somebody prayed over you and told you something, after you get disappointed and disillusioned a little bit, your behaviors start kind of getting a little squirrely. <laughs> your environment starts going off. And you realize that. And you're like, well, I used to be a lot better than this. I used to, I used to want to hang out with God. Now it's like, well, I should go pray because that's what good Christians do. I should read my Bible because that's what good Christians do. I guess I need to go on an anniversary date because that's what good marriages do. And it's not, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's a little red flag in your environment. And so you change your behavior. And I changed my behavior. Look, look, I'm pretty good at changing behavior. I, I, I've learned some discipline. And man, we had a revival in our marriage seven years ago. And we were closer than we'd ever been. And we wanted to spend time together. And it was amazing. Just boom, like just a little shift in my behavior. And suddenly the environment just blossomed and grew. And that was awesome for about four months. And then another stressor hit us. We moved to a farm, uh, five acres out in, out, out in San Marcos. And uh, if you want stress in your life, just move to a farm. Just do it. Try it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, and, and we even talked about, we talked about the fact that, okay, we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting more stress in our life. We need to be careful that we keep doing all the things all the time. All right? You're more stressed, keep doing all the things. The problem is, I don't know about you, but I'm not good at doing all the things all the time. At least not for prolonged periods of time. And so I start to drop off on doing some of the things. And I do some of the things all the time. And then I do all the things some of the time. And then I do some of the things some of the time. And it just kind of reverts back to the way that we were. And then disappointment sets in. And then this change and then this changes and then 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 you realize and you're like oh man i need to get back to you know six months later i need to get back to doing all the things all the time well now you do all the things all the time it doesn't have the same effect i'm not saying that row is like this but maybe some of you have have noticed your husband's change and then notice his change back and then when he changes again you say well that's great let's wait and see how long that lasts <laughs> I don't know but it's both ways both men and women it's, it's our human nature to say well or even with our walk with God I'm not really going to celebrate just yet I mean I got two weeks going, going good but you know I'm, I'm waiting to see if it sticks <laughs> what happened well you're, you're still disappointed your, your basic belief has not shifted enough you just change your behavior and things got better for a while and then they wouldn't get and it's basically dependent on mine and rose it was both of us our determination to be better think better and do better and it was like it was kind of like this we were close and we're not so close and we're close and we're not so close and we're close and depending on what stresses hit our and depending on this and depending on that and and what, what, what happened was it just then all of a sudden then that cycle becomes a cycle and you're like things are changing but nothing's really that different I think people's spiritual lives are this way a lot of times. Until finally we had this, this breakthrough moment. I forget, there, there was two different moments, but I think, I, I think the main one was when we were, we, we were talking about, like, how did it, why did it become so difficult? It was that question. This didn't used to be difficult. Why did it become difficult? And we came to the realization that there had been a shift in our belief system. Well, not a big shift, but a little shift. So when we first got married, we believed that together we could face anything. 
together we could face anything. And I literally mean that. We, we, were, we were both virgins when we got married. So literally together, we're going to have to figure out everything uh, from personal lives to raising kids to, to, to planting a church. I never planted a church. Together, we're gonna fa- we can face anything. But somewhere along the line, well, three years in, it shifted to, I need to fix what I can fix. And she needs to fix what she can fix. It wasn't a big change. It was just, we took the we out of it. And we said, I'm going to go to God. He's going to help me fix what I can fix. You go to God. He's going to help you fix what you can fix. And we'll come back together and it'll be awesome. Problem is we kept (laughs) trying to come back together and it wasn't awesome because there was a shift in our belief system. The way we viewed our marriage was not a we arm in arm together we can fix anything. It was a both of us coming together trying to focus on a problem. And I need to do my part to fix it and she needs to do her part. And you say, well, that's, that's just a little change. Yeah, and that little change will strip the lug nuts of your marriage. It's just enough to get you to try really hard and keep going backward. And if that's true in a marriage, it's also true. This isn't a marriage counseling seminar. This is your walk with God. If you truly believe that you need to work on what you can work on and he's going to work on what he can work on, that little shift will keep you stuck in a cycle all of your life. You'll never get free from it. You will strip every single lug nut. Every single New Year's resolution will fall to, to shambles. You, you will, you will con- constantly go up and down in the circle of determination and then, and then unbelief and then determination and unbelief because at the very core, you've believed a lie. And this is, this is the lie that you've believed. Hebrews chapter 3, I, I have a long scripture up here, but just this is, this is my closing altar call. It's Hebrews chapter 3. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful there's the word, unbelieving heart. Not sinful adulterous or sinful murderous, but sinful unbelieving. What God sees as so, I think King James says evil. What God sees as so evil is the lack of belief. It's the change of in that and that level. He says, see to it, you don't have an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The main purpose of sin is to to deceive you, to get you to believe something about God and about yourself at that level that's not true. And that's why God, the devil doesn't want you to do bad things. He wants you to believe a lie. Because then if you believe a lie, all your life flows out of that. All of your actions, all of your decisions flow out of that. And so sin's deceitfulness is what's the real danger here. And he says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as it has just been said. He just quoted it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. What's he talking about the rebellion? He's talking about when the people of God got up to the Jordan, got up to the promised land, got right up to the edge of what God had for them, And then they didn't go in. Well, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if it was not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter in because of their unbelief. And then going on to chapter 4, this is the end of chapter 3. When you go on to chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since the promise of rest still remains, it's, it's open to us. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had good news. But we're like, we're right up to the edge of this thing, man. We're right on the edge of rest, of promise, of freedom. We are so close, just as they were. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith. They, they, they were brought, they could see it, but they couldn't see it. It was no value. So me sharing about freedom and all this stuff is a complete waste of your time if you do not have a shift in your faith, in your belief level. He says, look, they were right there. They could see the promised land, but they couldn't see it. They didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. So now we who have believed, we enter that rest. We enter into a place where we are crucified. See, when you're crucified, when you're dead, you're resting. That's what we say. We're laying them to rest. 
You're not fighting anymore. You're not striving. You're not pushing down on lug nuts. You're resting in the finished work of Jesus. You live by faith, by a shift in your belief system of who God is and who you are subsequently. And so what was the lie that they believed? Well, very simply put, Scripture tells us that they got up to the edge of the promised land. They sent spies. Those spies came back. And they said the response that they had was, we are not able. That was it. That was their unbelief. They didn't say God's a jerk. <laughs> they didn't say Jesus isn't real. They didn't say, no, they just said, we are not able. It's amazing how God took that statement personally. Because they didn't necessarily mean it that way. But the lens of their heart looked at their capabilities and not God's. The lens of their heart saw what they were capable of, and they judged their experience by what they were capable of. They didn't have faith in God. So would you close your eyes with me for just a minute? Let me just speak over you who God is. Let me speak over you who He is and what He has said. Some of us, Father, we just need to repent. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to change our belief system with regard to who you are. You are able. You are capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask. You are capable of setting us free. And so we choose to put our faith in you today. We choose to lay down our right, our uh, desires. We choose to lay down our efforts. The works of the flesh, we choose to yield those before you and give them over to you. We desire for a shift to happen in our heart, that our faith would, would not remain in the place that it's at, that the way we perceive you and the way we perceive others would, would genuinely be changed from the inside, that you would put the lens of your truth. You said you desire truth in the inward parts, so let truth come into our heart, let truth reside on our soul, that we would see all of this, that, that every, every aspect of our life would be viewed through the lens of your truth. And we surrender the lie that the enemy has spoken to us whether it's that we are not able, whether it's that we are not beautiful, whether it's that we are not good, whether it's that we are not smart, whether it's that we are not uh, intelligent, whether we are not humble, we are not consistent. Lord, we surrender the lie that the, we have come to believe about ourselves because it, it genuinely reflects on what we believe about you. We lay it down at your feet. We take up what you say about us. Show us, Lord. Show us this week as we go about our week, as we, as we go to work, as we live, as we have our families, and as we, 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 we are in our homes. Lord, show us, show us what you believe about us, what you have said about us. As we join together in small groups, Father, further unpack this level of belief in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.